That was the J-Cut, and this is the J-Cut, a movie podcast for movie fans. This is Andreas. I am the creator and one of the one of the writers for Films Fatale. Um, my top 100 soundtracks of all time just came out yesterday, so um, yay. That's always fantastic. Uh, who else is here with me? James here. I'm a content creator. I produce and release music under the alias Boutique Paul. I'm one after the Prefer Not to Say podcast, and I recently joined the Films Fatale team and launched a column called Guerrilla Film Fair, which takes a look at no-budget filmmaking, and I am currently doing the prep work for my first article. I'm Rachel. I am also in the Films Fatale circle, and I write one column on lost films and one on world cinema. So check some of those out. Yes, uh, this is a... Uh... A very loving family. Uh, we all love film, obviously. And that's uh, especially true today, where, you guessed it, for long-time listeners, it's time for another cinematic smorgasbord. This is our September edition. So, throughout the month of August, we've been sharing our picks that we've given to each other and a general one that we wanted you to join in. So, we're going to get through all of those. Um, we're going to save the... Uh, I guess seemingly idiosyncratic Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD for the second half of this episode. But first off, we're going to get into our individual picks. So if you're a new time listener, what this means is each of us co-hosts gives a pick of a film to watch to another co-host, something they've never seen before, and we report on our findings. Furthermore, we do one that none of us have seen each month, and we invite you to join us. So please let us know what you thought of there's only so much you could think of when it comes to Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But let's get into what we recommended for one another. So to start things off, I recommend it to you, Sir James. What Akira the Wrath of God by Werner Herzog. Yes. How was it? I actually really enjoyed it. Nice. Okay. It was, it was definitely something interesting. And for those who don't know what it is, it's a historical epic drama where uh, actor Klaus Kinski stars is I believe it's uh, Lope de Aguirre. Is that how you pronounce it? I don't know Spanish. Uh, and he's leading a group of conquistadors down the Amazon River in South America in search of the legendary city of gold, El Dorado. It almost, seeing the way this was shot, it's very reminiscent of a documentary, which only makes sense because he does a lot of documentaries as well, but it kind of is like a slice of life approach of their journey. And also Aguirre's kind of descent into madness along the way. Yeah. I definitely thought of you. I wanted you to see some Herzog for the longest time. And I feel like Aguirre is like, obviously the first place to start with him as a filmmaker. Cause it's, it's his magnum opus. He's made a lot of great films, but this is like the best thing he's ever done. But Knowing how you love guerrilla filmmaking, where it's like, low budget, let's see what we can do with like these very few props. I mean, seeing them shooting that stuff on that river, it's like, how in the hell did they make that? And just so many of the, the technical achievements in this film, especially with like not the greatest budget on earth, it's really a masterwork of filmmaking. Yeah, it's a much smaller film than you'd think when you think a historical drama. Um, one film it really put me in mind of was Days of Heaven. And they're completely right. different filmmakers, but I, maybe it was just the combination of foliage and people ruining each other's lives. But just that sort of huge story told in very small terms. Well, like predominantly the natural lighting and the simple setting, because it, it all takes place of them just 
traveling down the river river in the rainforest and just how they interact and just, you know, the trials and tribulations of, you know, being in this group while also trying to be wary of the indigenous community that resides in the area because there's this kind of like back and forth. You see moments of back and forth between them. You know, there's spots where they have to, you know, kind of look around because, you know, every now and then someone we randomly hit with an arrow and then it's just code red. Everyone's on alert. You know, they're firing guns, shooting off cannons. And yeah, it also, it's really interesting because looking back, it shows how people really did not take the right approach with the indigenous people because they were trying to quote unquote civilize them, even though people in modern society weren't really that civilized to begin with. Yeah. Cause you know, there it's also highlights where, um, cause you know, they have, there's an angle of, uh, they also have a pastor with them who wants to enlighten them with Christianity. And it just reminds me like, wow. Yeah. That was a really different time. Mm, the whole thing is a giant religious mission. And there's also a Werner Herzog's very sick sense of humor, which almost ties into like the surreality of everything. Like you feel like you're with Koskinski just kind of like losing your mind, like when like a beheaded head starts to talk. Like it's uh, pretty interesting stuff, but I love how, yeah, again, you feel like you're a part of this descent into madness. And by the time that it ends, like this unholy of climaxes, it's just a really crazy picture but it's not even just you know because rachel you brought up how how effective it was with its budget but that's also especially true with how effective it is despite the fact that it's really a short movie it's not like Fitzcarraldo, which is like two and a half hours or whatever this was like i think because it's been a while since i've seen it it's like an hour and a half or less like it's very quick and it just gets everything right and um you leave it feeling really like empty almost like one of the films that this that this movie uh, influenced was apocalypse now and it's easy to see why but whereas apocalypse now is either three or four hours depending on the version you watch this is like a smidgen of that of that duration but it's like just as effective with how with how distraught you feel afterwards yeah that ending is gonna haunt me for a long time yeah and it's interesting because with like the beautiful cinematography combined with that descent into the main character's madness, it's almost as if it's a combination of like Malik and Kubrick because Malik is very into like, you know, nature and all that. But this descent into madness is very much aligned with a lot of the main characters in Kubrick's work where, you know, you just see the slow descent to where it's like, you're questioning if they're a hero in the beginning, but by the end of it, you're like, yeah, no, you're awful. Which he is. He's, he's a terrible person. Uh, you know, as a person and a U.S. character, but, you know, that's a story for another day. Um, the score as well, the score is, like... I love the Very score. contrasting. Yeah, it's very contrasting in how beautiful it is because, like, everything you're looking at, and, like, the cinematography, again, um, gorgeous cinematography. So the aesthetics are, like, stunning. It's as if you're watching this beautiful green world and all of its vegetation just being completely decimated by power-hungry individuals. And uh, these these people who are, who are fighting for, yeah, they're fighting for power, they're fighting for leadership, they're fighting for what have you, you know, trying to pave land. So instead of this advancement of society, it's really the desecration of where we live. 
Mm-hmm. You, you feel like you're, you're hearing it just fall apart. It's also really interesting how well the, everything was framed because Herzog is admittedly does not use storyboards whatsoever when he makes these films. So the fact it's like he's pulling off these shots and all these ideas just from his head is like, wow, that's kind of amazing that there's not even really pre-planning. And also, you know, he's apparently big on ins- or improvisation and just kind of like seizing the moment. And from what I understand, he also has a habit of like putting himself through what the character is going through and like the crew as well. Like he has to live it in order to create the art. Well, that makes sense with his uh, his, doc- his documentary pictures, so uh, that easily applies here. And I know you haven't seen anything else of his, James. I'm not sure about you, Rachel. But, a few things here and know. there. I've actually yeah. seen one documentary, looking back. Okay. It was, well, uh, like I in think, terms of his features. Yeah, I haven't seen any of his feature work. Which, which documentary until now. did you see? Uh, it was Into the Abyss. It was, um, oh, right. It was, uh, I forgot which one it was. It had to do with somebody in prison. That's all I remember right, from it. Right. I've seen it I, years ago. We have talked about this, I forgot. But once you get to his, his features, I mean, like his narrative features, the fact that there's a documentary on how he made Fitzgerald, I mean, as a testament to exactly what you just said. Like, the, the having to be in that situation. Fitzgerald is the story of this impossible mission to move a ship up a mountain which is literally what they do to make the movie. So, like, they literally... And apparently that was a very troubled movie set throughout. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. And the documentary is worth watching. But, yeah, like, to go back to Gide, The Wrath of God, that was a nightmare to shoot that. Like, that was not easy. And a lot of what you see is not necessarily acting or, you know, synthetic. It's like an actual natural response to what's going on. So, yeah, overall, I enjoyed my pick. That's great. Awesome. Yes, and uh, for listeners at home, uh, Rachel did chime in. That's because, Rachel, you also watched it. And I did. I think this is the first time that all of us have seen all of these picks. I think we're selecting picks for each other, but we're kind of getting into the whole the whole thing. So, like, I watched James' pick for you, which we're going to get into in a second. And, yeah, it, it feels really cool that we could all, none of us have to check it out. We've already, we've already done that. So, so, fast up, James, uh, did you sit through Hedwig? Yeah. We'll get into that I, later I, wa- on. I watched all three of the ones I haven't seen all in one day. Fabulous. Amazing. I, I'm going to keep doing this because I really like being able to talk about all three movies. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's beneficial for us. It's beneficial for people at home, but it's not mandatory. But um, I think for this time around, it actually really helps. So uh, that's enough of uh, really damning filmmaking let's get into something a little bit more sublime with james your pick for rachel which i think was a very spot-on pick it was rachel what did, what were you given i was given guy and madeline on a park bench which is the first movie of damien chazelle who would later go on to direct whiplash and la la land um it was really interesting to see because it's he was quite young when he made the movie i can't remember whether he was a student or not and it was um it became a bit of a festival darling and I got good reception, but nowhere near the reception that the later films did. So you can see sort of the beginning of him as a filmmaker, the motifs of jazz music and kind of genre bending that uh, pop up later. But it's on a smaller scale. It's a very intimate movie. It goes deep into the characters. Sometimes I got thought he got a little too fond of the close-ups, but yeah, I really liked it. And you're left with a very strong impression of these two people. It kind of is trying to balance between a sort of 
reality style of filmmaking and also sort of the big budget musicals. This one, I felt he kind of went a little surface level on either on both genres when he could have kind of dived deeper into them. Overall, I would say I'm glad that he got a bigger budget and I'm glad he had more to work with because I think it's allowed him to grow. Basically, I can see what's coming, but it's definitely not my favorite of his films, but it's really a treat to see it get started. Yeah, I feel like, you know, you hit it on the head when you brought up the close-ups. The close-ups once in a while are pretty good or like the dynamic zooms on like you know the the trumpeters playing but clearly this was the result of like a like a film student or a film grad who kind of just yeah was trying to shove everything in the kitchen sink in there you know his ideas would become more varied and nuanced with a with a bigger budget like if you look at la la land and like the uh the astrological sequence or you know one of the the music number in the restaurant Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's a lot more varied and there's so many more inventive ideas. So, but, you know, Grant's a visionary with a budget and that's what happens. So, you know, as an initial idea, it's it's a really humble, good one. And, yeah, I think it's such an interesting pick because this is such a James pick where it's like the stripped down, low budget, um, you know, uh, indie type of film. But it certainly has, like, the heart of a Hollywood musical especially when you consider when it, when it came out, like that genre was all but dead outside of like Basil Luhrmann and, and, um, you know, Marshall's films, like, which have been middlingly successful besides Chicago. Exactly. So, uh, consider it dead. It was a niche genre. Consider it dead. And it still is technically dead outside of like some of the niche films. I think Hamilton's destroyed all over again, but that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. But, uh, clearly he was still, you know, Stanley Donan was still in his heart making this thing. And like, that was clearly what he was destined to do to bring that back. Yeah. Yeah. I picked it initially because it hit all the checks for all of us. Cause I thought I was like, Oh, I'm going to give this because it's like, Oh, it's a, for one, it's a low budget thing. So that's my thing, but also has this kind of like cinema, very taste out that Andreas you're very fond of. So I was like, Oh, okay. That works on there. But then he's got the, you know, the kind of like classic musical style in there. And I was like, Oh, this is literally one of those films that like hits the mark for all of us. So I just thought I recommend it because I was like, you know, this, this is kind of a fun thing. Cause it's not often that we have a film that crosses over that much into all of our different territories. So it just kind of happened. I was like, Oh wait, Let's throw this one in the mix. I kept saying, just stick with one thing a little bit longer. No, stay with that a little longer watching the movie. Yeah, but yeah, he was actually a student at the time of making this, and I think he dropped out to finish this movie. Wow. Like all the good ones. When he was working on it. And he chose a good time to do so because he would eventually become the youngest, best director winner of all time at the age of 32. I'm 32 now, and I haven't done anything. So there you go. I mean... True, but let's face it, La La Land's only going to be remembered for one thing for the rest of eternity, so. Oh, maybe two things. The fact that (laughs) most musical majors don't like it. I like it, though. I don't care. Oh, yeah. As a musical, I'm I'm not a fan of La La Land for for its musical purposes. I like the spectacle, but I I just think, no, no, that's not a real musical. That's a bunch of warm-up exercises strung together, but yeah. It's a tribute. Anyway, um, <laughs> nonetheless, Damien Chazelle, everyone. So he would go on to, you know, I know La La Land's a little bit more polarizing, but Whiplash, I feel like everybody can contest how much of the Whiplash. And that also stemmed from his his very early days from his Whiplash shorts. So 
uh, you know, guy mandolin on a park bench. Well, it's funny. You ever notice how, at, like, when you find out about this movie, he actually has a jazz-centric trilogy. Yes. Exactly. So if you know about it, you're like, oh, wait, so this kind of works. It's like his it's like his jazz trilogy. And then, you know, he decides See, to do something completely different when he did First Man. We could have done this in our trilogy a, episode. Yeah. He, well, he could have done a quadrology if you really think about it. If he just gave Neil Armstrong a middle name of Louis, that could have been perfect. <laughs> it could have been Armstrong's secret hobby when he's not in space. Neil Louis Armstrong. What a wonderful world. So great that I'm going to have to leave it and head to the, head to the moon. Or can he just do a biopic on Louis Armstrong? I'd watch oh, it. Good. Well, he's doing something much more interesting. Uh, I think it's called Babylon, where it's supposed to take place during the 20s. Like yes. the height of silent cinema. So I'm excited for that. I'm tremendously so. excited for that. Yes. And I just think, you know, he's he's got so such a long time ahead of him. And he's done so many great things already. I'm really looking forward to what's down the road. Yeah, he's he's truly fantastic. Uh, speaking of fantastic filmmakers, let's shed some light on somebody who's a fantastic filmmaker that I feel like outside of pop culture status just isn't really getting his dues. So I'm going to get into the pick that you gave me, Rachel, and that's uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch by John Cameron Mitchell. Yes. Who? Yes, the only thing of John Cameron Mitchell's I've seen before, I think I've only seen um, Rabbit Hole. Yeah, I haven't seen anything else of his until now. I've been itching to see Hedwig and the Angry Inch for a really long time, and I've been familiar with its cult status. I've got to say, in, in all honesty, I feel like with every single good pick that I've received, I think this one might be my favorite that I've received for the Smorgasbord. Oh, I absolutely, uh, yeah, I, I was like nonplussed with it. I felt that the soundtrack was hilarious, but also extremely moving. Um, like the like the titular track, the one speaking about the you know the proverbial angry inch, um, was hilarious, but also very biting. Like it was telling a very serious tale at the same time, but with such a such a snarky, bitchy attitude almost. Like I I don't know if you guys know this, I really like glam rock. So like early Bowie, early Brian Eno, New York Dolls. So this soundtrack was like a modernized version of that. I thought it was excellent, but seeing all of the tales behind it and this entire storyline of this rock star who um, who is the front representation of genderqueer identities, especially in the early 2000s, because this came out in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story took place long before that. Yeah, and there was a lot of really progressive stuff as well. Uh, you know, when it comes to like, that actual representation it wasn't it wasn't just like one or two things it was like a whole community and um again seeing like that it's almost like you were watching like a vh1 behind the scenes but a lot more interesting because each song had its own little history of uh of this rock star's life uh as hedwig you know the birth name i believe is hansel right yeah, but for like 95% of the movie, she's Hedwig. Right, right. So, uh, you know, with Hedwig, um, you're seeing a lot of this, like, you know, problems with the upbringing, you know, like a very toxic family, um, you know, misuse uh, when it comes to romantic relationships and, uh, you know, being being misidentified gender-wise throughout the entire picture. Like, so many different personal battles that that she was facing 
and each song whether it was hilarious or very serious they all add up to this to this playlist this this heavenly playlist and i found myself like really kind of like really moved by the ending like that final shot is very vulnerable and keep in mind i bring up um the director john cameron mitchell because this was really this was really his like birth child you know he came up with the story he wrote it himself you know he he stars in it as as both hansel and hedwig mm-hmm. and you know all of the songs everything like this was really his really his child and i feel like it's as fully realized with all of its animations surreal imagery uh hyper real imagery everything it's as it's as fully realized as it could have been and it was also a stage musical so yes i can only imagine what it was like having done it so many times and performance wise and then filming it it must have been a real treat because you can tell that there was so much investment prior to it that just everything just felt natural like he did everything perfect in telling this story that he conceived a few years later they put the show on broadway with neil patrick harris as hedwig and you know um, Harris did a fantastic job. He was excellent. He was like that sounds he won amazing. The Tony and he earned it, but it just it wasn't quite the same connection. Not it just wasn't quite there. But I mean, it was still really enjoyable. But you can tell this is Mitchell's Mitchell's movie, Mitchell's role. Yeah, I I, I really really liked it. I I knew that I would to an extent. It's been something I've been itching to see. I didn't know I was going to like it quite as much as I did, and it's actually perfect timing because. Uh, I tossed in the soundtrack to my top 100 soundtracks list. I mean, it was just like perfect timing. Perfect. So, Which song yeah, was your favorite? Oh, God. I I don't even know. Um, God, if I have to pick just one. Uh, some of the later stuff, when it got like really serious, I think, because like, you know, like the ballady stuff, I feel like, like the straight up rock songs were a lot of fun. I'm not super duper into cheese, but I feel like it could be done right. And I feel like it was done right here. Like for instance, I really can't stand meatloaf, but like this wasn't meatloaf. This was like the perfect amount of cheese. Like that, like that glam rock cheese. But when it got like serious and Hedwig was like really talking to you as like a listener, like, yeah, the stripped down stuff. I feel like in movies like this, it could be really overly sentimental or try too hard. It felt very authentic. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't pick a particular song, but yeah, really good stuff. Fabulous. Mine was always Wig in a Box, big production number. I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> <laughs> Wig in a Box. I mean, that, that makes perfect sense. It's quite the karaoke hit, I hear. I wouldn't know because I don't do karaoke. And you'll never hear me sing, I'll tell you that. So, <laughs> Nonetheless, um, you're not going to hear me sing, but you might hear me rant because now we're going to get into our collective pick. Our collective pick was was chosen, was chosen by James. Um could you, uh, pray tell, please tell everyone uh, again what what we had the, the utmost delight of watching for this month. Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD by Lloyd Kaufman, or Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz. Okay. Uh, we could go into the premise, but I, th- I feel like that might, that might also give me a headache. I'll say this before I get into it. Um... I understand the appeal of this director because I felt like when I used to make movies in high school, I felt like 
if I continued and I never progressed, but I still had that fun making the movies, this is exactly what would have come out. You know, sans the uh, the problematic stuff, I'm sure. But um, this type of filmmaking speaks to all the people who like make movies when they're 10 years old with like their, you know, either their digital cameras or their, their Bolexes. You know, these are the people who like just make stuff on the fly and see what happens and they just have a really fun time making it like this is like a dolomite type of film it's yeah that's that's my positive take on it uh rachel yeah i agree with you that that's kind of the vibe i think they were going for uh just i just couldn't sit through all the problematic stuff i i had to take a few breaks during the movie i would never have watched if it wasn't for this podcast uh I forgot how casually homophobic and transphobic 90s comedy could be, for one thing. And racist. And racist. Uh, oh, yeah, that, but that's kind of baked into the whole movie already, like, going in. I mean, the name alone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I loved it. Because it's cause it's so off the wall? I, I think it's because he does it intentionally. Like this isn't an accident. Like oh, no. if it was an accident, I would I wouldn't be able to forgive him because it's like how could you not see this as a problem? But it's like his career is built on making these awful B movies. So you can tell it's like everything was intentional, and it, it's like you know he doesn't really mean harm. It's like I think if you're if you get mad at Michael or Michael Hurts, it's not more so him. Lloyd Kaufman. It's like getting mad at Lloyd Kaufman is almost like getting mad at Cartman or Randy Marsh from South Park. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It just went way past my threshold, I'm afraid. Oh, yeah. It's definitely not for everybody. I think it's just how goofy certain moments are. I'm just like, how? Also, do you two remember the big special effects scene where the with the car flip and car explosion? Yes. Well, apparently, and I didn't realize this until I had seen a documentary series he had made about like, you know, really low budget filmmaking that because of how expensive that scene was, they reused it in other films to justify the cost. Yes, I heard about that, which is like the only the only thing about the movie that was like especially rewarding. And I just found it funny. Yeah. So it's like if there's a part where people are about to crash, they just throw that in, even though it doesn't actually match the, the movie itself. And I just thought that was so great because for this budget. I think this was like the biggest budget they got because Namco, the video game company, was involved. I think it was made for $900,000. Oh, my goodness. That, that checks out. Well, <laughs> I, don't, I, I, just, I, I just feel like every time it's my turn, I think I always just I feel the need to top what I did last. And it has to be off the wall. So it was like first it was Shaft, which I mean, you know, that was a cool movie, uh, you know. Under the Cherry Moon, which was like, it has its problems, but it was still a fun watch for, you know, oh, yeah. just a once over. This one, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go full force, something ridiculous. Let's see how everybody feels about it. And I, I remember, Rachel, you specifically mentioning right away how traumatized you were after this. Oh, God. I, yeah, I, I definitely, this was my least favorite recommend of the entire podcast. But, you know, I mean, we watched it, we discussed it, and this is like, I, think it was a different side of film i've never seen before so that's a good thing i still think it was fun regardless um yeah but you also recommended my very favorite which was cannibal the musical a few months back so you're forgiven oh that's right <laughs> yeah it's uh all i could say is i was watching this my girlfriend walked into the room while i was watching this and she seemed very confused and left 
<laughs> Priceless um, reaction. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know where to start with this. From a lot of the superpowers, which have nothing to do with like you know Kabuki theater. Um, oh yeah. To the absolute. Uh, these uh, for listeners at home. These include flying in the air. Um, some other stuff to the absolute racist use reasons that he was going to be a kabuki man which include the you know burning people with wasabi or turning them into human sushi by cutting them up like just crazy crazy ridiculous things um i just i don't i i don't know where to start so i'm not going to uh <laughs> this uh this was slightly amusing for all the wrong reasons but at the same time i'm uh i'm completely flabbergasted by this one um I'm good to move on. To yeah, you know, t- let's just say James outdid himself again. <laughs> oh, my next pick is even more off the wall. Uh oh. Hey, that's impossible. That's impossible. Like this was this was legitimately one of the one of the most bonkers things I've ever seen. Yeah, that's not a compliment. <laughs> okay, well, uh, shall we move on? Yeah. So let's give each other our next recommendations and luckily one of them won't be Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD because guess what we've all seen it so what if they had a sequel and I recommended that to somebody (laughs) wasn't there also a cartoon series I thought there was one that looked like one of those horrible 90s cartoons I don't think there was a cartoon series for that there was a Toxic Avenger series because I think the Sergeant Kabuki Man animated thing I don't know if that was a series if that was like a short I, I couldn't tell you, but I'm surprised anyone saw this and said, oh, yeah, let's do another. I mean, is one migraine not enough? All right, so shall we get on to our next round of picks? <laughs> yes, yes, let's do that. So uh, we might as well go in the same order. So, uh, James, you received your picks, so now you're going to hand your pick over, I guess, to... Oh, it's me this, it's me this week. So I guess uh, what am I going to be watching for the month of September? You're going to be watching the low-budget debut of David Gordon Green, George Washington. George Washington, David. All right, let's look at this up. I, I've certainly not heard of this. I know David Gordon Green, obviously. I think I um, saw that floating around on one of the streaming channels. Uh, this is interesting. Wow, okay, so it's, it's gotten a lot of acclaim as one of the best films of the year of, of uh, 2000. So. Oh, yeah, it was made for, I think it was $42,000. It's... The best way I can describe it, if Terrence Malick had to work with a micro budget. Okay, that sounds really interesting. Oh yeah, I saw that That's being advertised really on Criterion. It's a part of the collection. Is, is it still on? Uh, yeah. As far as I know, yes. Amazing. Okay, so George Washington. Perfect. Yeah, I'm going to be checking that out. Thank you so much, James. Okay, so now, Rachel, you're going to give James his movie. That's right. Have you seen When the Wind Blows, the animated movie? No. Okay, well, uh, it's it's an animated movie about... I'm just going to say the Cold War and leave it at that. Um, and I'll be very interested to hear what you think about it. Yeah. All righty. And the music is fascinating. So mostly I, I recommend this to you because I know how much you love music. So... Did you bring this up before? I did on our animation episode, but uh, I was mostly talking about a movie by uh, another movie by the same creators. Oh, okay. 
Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this poster and I was like, I've seen this before. And I was thinking, I was like, was this brought up during the animation episode? Yeah, it was awesome. the same animation style uh, because it's the same. Oh. It's based on a, a, the same illustrator. Yeah, he did the snowman, which is fantastic. Yes, but no, uh, if, if anybody's thinking, well, the snowman was a nice movie, I should watch this too. It's nothing like the snowman. Well, outside of the uh, the impending reality of snow, anyway, <laughs> let's yeah. not think about that. Um, cool, I, I want to check that one out too, which I guess I will because we're watching each other's picks now. So, great, that's that's a wonderful selection so far. Now, Rachel, my soundtracks list came out yesterday, mm-hmm. and I was feeling like when I was watching Hedwig, I was thinking of another film throughout, even though Hedwig is much more sincere. I'm hoping you've not seen this. This is a little bit different than what I typically recommend. I'm recommending, if you've not seen it, The Phantom of the Paradise by Brian De Palma. I have not seen it, but it's a Winnipeg institution, so I feel like I'm morally obligated. I feel like in terms of soundtracks, that is one of the greatest I've ever heard. I listen to it all the time, just on its own. But the film itself... I'm not the biggest fan of a lot of cult films that are cult just for the sake of being cult. This is my Rocky Horror. This is the one where it's like, I know this is far from perfect, but damn it, if I don't love this thing, I don't know what love is. So that's my recommendation to you. I'm going to have to see it. And if it weren't COVID, I would fly out to Manitoba to do so. Sounds good. I know. God bless Canada for saving that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Honesty. So... Those are three of our picks. Uh, I'm going to be watching George Washington. James is going to be watching When the Wind Blows. And Rachel's going to be watching Phantom of the Paradise. Now, what are we all watching? Rachel, this is uh, also your pick. This requires some historical context, so bear with me for a moment. So when we transitioned from, uh, from silent films to talkies, the problem came up, what should we do with international audiences? Because it was very easy to just clip in some intertitles from other languages and then sell it to whatever market you wanted for your movie. But they weren't quite sure what to do now that they had to deal with sound. So as we know now, it's usually dubbing or subtitles, and it's a very, very angry fight over who prefers what. But back in the day, they had a very unusual technique right at the beginning of the talkies, where they would film one version during the day, which would generally be the main Hollywood release, and then at night, on the same set, they would film the international version. And so we are going to be watching Spanish Dracula. Spanish Dracula? And so it has completely different actors, different costumes, same set only at night, and... Um, oh! Yeah, and the story seems to be different because the, both versions have about half an hour of difference. So the catch with this is we're going to watch Spanish Dracula, which I know is accessible somewhere. And then um, we should also be familiar with the regular Bela Lugosi Dracula that everybody knows about. Yes, mm-hmm. which luckily, luckily I am already. So that, that's half of the job. But this is this is a very interesting experiment because it definitely encourages us and listeners to, to view what was once a trope of filmmaking where you had to again film these two versions and yeah. we were just talking about Herzog earlier he kind of did do that where he filmed legitimately filmed mm-hmm. um two versions of films like um like it's Nosferatu remake there's an English version and a German version but they're not dubbed like they're literally Refilmed. Yeah. So, Same with one of my favorite TV series, Norseman. It's filmed once in Norwegian and then once in English. Sadly, it's come to an end now. 
Oh, that's too bad. Well, this is this is a very interesting pick. So, uh, yeah. that's it. If you wish to join us for the month of September, I feel like this should have been an October pick, but whatever. That's perfectly fine. Uh, we can celebrate Halloween early twice. Um, we're gonna celebrate Dracula in Spanish, Espanol. So this is gonna be very interesting. So fantastic. That's yet another smorgasbord. Um, thanks, everybody. We've got some homework to do. And thanks to all of you listeners. I hope you enjoyed all of our picks. And we'll take part in our next series. So otherwise, where can you find us, Rachel? We are on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under the K-Cut. And we love to post little bits of trivia and stories about ourselves and things like that. Um, and in this place, I would normally recommend our smorgasbord picks, but you just heard them all. Yeah, just uh, just to recap, we've got George Washington, When the Wind Blows, Phantom of the Paradise, and Dracula, also Dracula. So that was the K-Cut, and now we're going into the outro.